Welcome to House Call with Dr. Mack, where you get a real doc with straight talk for the whole you. We've had a conversation with Dr. Newton Andrews of the Capital Cardiology Consultants at the Providence Hospital in Washington, D.C. If you didn't hear the first segment and were able to appreciate Dr. Andrews' credentials, I'll go through them once again for you. Dr. Andrews went to the Ohio State University for medical school. He did his residency in internal medicine at the Riverside Methodist Community Hospital and a fellowship in cardiology at Howard University. Dr. Andrews is a nuclear cardiologist who specializes in cardiovascular imaging and heart failure therapies. He started the last time we sat down in where he was giving us some good foundation, taking us back to class, so to speak, helping us to understand how this pump works in some very basic, understandable terms, and I really appreciate him for that. We're now moving more into now your pump doesn't really work, what now? And so he's going to pull in some treatment modalities. He's going to tell us how all of this plays together. But he's also going to give us some more information, some more tools to put in our bags so that we can keep connecting the dots for ourselves and that we can, in turn, as I always say, become a partner in whole person care. So let's sit down. Let's have this conversation. Let's finish connecting these dots, and let's get to this straight talk. I see. Uh, my goal is for you never to see me. I see. Okay. But if you do... <laughs> then we are on we, another path. We're on a different path. We're yeah. so far down the road that... We really have to do some major right. intervention right. to right. get ourselves Back. turned around. Turned around. And you may be ending up where you're just sort of maintaining mm -hmm. rather than getting back to, hey, now I feel like I'm 22 again. But at the same time, you're not declining anymore. That's it. You know, That's it. We had a saying in the American um, Association of Black Cardiologists, parents should not be burying their children. That's true. Okay. That and a lot true. of times we were seeing that from early coronary disease. Mm -hmm. We had a guy came in last week. He's 38. Three vessel disease needs bypass surgery. Without playing basketball, decided to take up playing basketball again. Couldn't finish a game. Just started getting tired. Came in. You're looking at him. He was 39, not too overweight, and you're saying, "I can't believe this. I'm seeing this guy. Usually I'm 50, 60, yes, 70." Yes, yes, yes. Comes in, and I said, "They call me on my car. I said, ah, we got to get a stress test. I don't like his story." I don't like what he's telling me. Get him on the treadmill. I see the EKG changes on there. And I said, and I want to believe that they're just EKG <laughs> changes. Unfactual. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to believe. I said, I don't want this young guy to have this much disease. But he had textbook changes that suggested he had multivessel disease. And I said, this is the stuff we read about. You don't ever see this stuff. No. Normally, you see the older patient. You're exactly. just like, yeah, I assume they're going to have so much. Let's, let me, let's see how much they have. Not this guy has bad stuff. So this guy has this rest of his um, 
nuclear stress test done, which leads to changes. Then he goes and has a cardiac catheterization, which is the usual next step. Used to know whether or not this patient is fits into one of three categories, whether or not they could be a surgical case, whether or not they can be fixed by angioplasty, or whether or not they're just a medical management. And medical management could be on both sides, meaning that they're so far gone that all they're going to benefit from now is medicine. Or it's not that bad that they're all they could be taking care of with lifestyle modifications and medication. Right. So medications usually run throughout, but mm-hmm. can mean either way. Just because someone says, I got a cath and I'm only on medication now, doesn't mean that they're on the lower end of risk. Oh. They can be on the higher end mm. also. Okay. okay. Um, ended up he needed surgery. So it's just something that you see in like, this guy needs to have surgery within a week. So his symptoms, you're telling me, were mainly shortness he did of shortness of breath. He went to do the litmus test right. of exercise. Exactly. And just shortness of breath. Would he have known this if he had been playing all along? Oh. Maybe. Maybe. Is it a diet thing for him? Probably not. I think there might be some genetic mm. issues okay. that go on with him. But still, you may have found out earlier. Okay. It, and it's interesting that you, you talk about this male patient of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to bring to you a story of a female patient that is a friend of a friend of mine, her mother. About 10 years ago, you talk about the litmus test of exercise. She and her husband decided, you know, we're going to get back into healthier living. We're going to go out and we're going to start walking again. So in the course over a month of walking, she started noticing shortness of breath. Shortness of breath. And she's a registered nurse. And she says there was one day where she actually told her husband, go get the car, I can't go back. And her husband was the one that said, mm, we need to call a doctor. Right. And that is what started her journey. They went, did um, all of the EKG stress tests, did the uh, angiocath, and she said when they did the angiocath, they admitted her, mm-hmm. did not let her pass go. <laughs> and she ended up with a quadruple bypass. So the, the symptomology sounds the same. Why is it that, I, I've, I've been reading, why is there such a disparity between women and men getting the immediate help when they have maybe a, a cardiac um, event? Oh, part of it is because women are from Venus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. In saying that, and I say that flippantly, but, uh, but, I, but they are a little bit different. Even um, their symptoms that they present with okay. are different. They present later. Mm. Um, just with the interaction with hormonal Yes. Um, issues that they have a different sensation of symptoms, per se, than men do. Okay, like what? They may feel the shortness of breath, the nausea, the feeling of fatigue, mm-hmm. rather than I have chest pain that's running to my shoulder, that's going down my arm, which the men may feel. Okay. Okay. Chest pain that's going to my neck and my jaw, it's just, I can't, I, it just feels like this, I can't. I've been chewing something tough. When do you have those things? Men usually have those things. Mostly women. They may, ah, no, I just don't feel like going out today. Maybe it's my cycle. Maybe it's my menopause. Maybe it's my this. Mm-hmm. I stayed up and cooked all night last night. I'm just tired from that. So their 
presentation gets pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed back. Okay. So by the time they come, they're so much further down the road than if yeah. they would have prepared themselves then. Okay. Again, generally speaking, exercise is less with women than they are with men. Men are a lot more busy and try mm. to, from their ego and bravado, try <laughs> to do things more. Okay. Even if it's a weekend warrior type thing. That's true. But at yeah. least they're doing something, something that was sort of, hey, I'm running up the stairs, I'm late for this, I'm what have you, okay. as compared to women like, I'm, I'm waiting for the elevator. <laughs> I got on these heels, I'm yeah. not running up those stairs. That's true. So other things come <laughs> into play where they make decisions that don't necessarily mm. vet out okay. their symptoms. But at the same time, even when they do those things, their symptoms are a little bit different. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, when a patient, so I want to take and kind of connect a dot for patients. Going back to heart disease and what that means, when a patient comes to sit down at their electronic medical record now, you know, Mm -hmm. used to be a paper and they would fill out their past medical history or their family history, what do they need to think back to and and say that they can say yes to if it's a family history? What would be some things that would be considered, yes, you have a family history of, of heart disease or cardiovascular disease. What does that look like to them in their family? Unfortunately, a lot of times we don't know our family histories. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is understandable yeah when someone dies suddenly or dies or is in the hospital a lot of times we're either assigning blame to hospital doctor patient or themselves saying why didn't I see this before Mm -hmm. what did I do that was wrong what did they not tell me that was going on that I should have known what did the doctor send them for that they think might have killed them or did not give them? Or what happened in the hospital that was not right? So they don't ascribe what actually happened. They don't get to hone in on, oh, they've been having heart disease over the last several years. Now that they're 45 and have passed, 52 and have passed, this constitutes as a family history for me. So when I you ask me, I'm like, yeah, I had somebody in the hospital, they died, but I was thinking because they gave them the wrong medication. Then my perception of what family history is is a little bit different. So understanding our family, having those conversations, Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays, how you doing? What's going on with you? Mm-hmm. That helps me. You understand what your family history is, rather than sentinel events that happen. That's a, um, a lot of times. That's what we look for. Like who had heart disease, and you know, you got five kids. Right. One may be around. One may not be. I need mm-hmm. to call somebody. Find out what happened to mom. I don't know what happened. Granny told me this. You know, or and they just don't know. Like I can't tell you my grandfather's how they died. And I'm a physician. 
That's a good point. I just don't know. That's I know that they passed before I was really of age, mm-hmm. but I don't know why. If that's mm-hmm. something significant for me, it should be, because it may be something that's genetic that's passed down. So we um, need to start some conversations earlier right. with our children right. and our communities right. and be open to the fact of saying, you know, okay, so grandma or granddaddy or so-and-so had this. Mm-hmm. These are the things that you need to be aware of. The old... Um, the old things that we used to do of making family trees yes as a family helps you bring out some of that stuff yes. why what happened to such and such and they had such and many kids and what happened to him well he died because his, his he has cystic fibrosis I heard you know or something like that yes. lets you know there are certain things in the family that may be trickling down hmm that when you start talking about I'm short of breath and you're still smoking, you may not need to be doing that because <laughs> I have certain things in my background that are waiting to be expressed. Yes. You know, so a lot of times it's not just what we what we do, what we don't do. It's, some of it is genetic, too. And, and adding that piece on sort of helps us decide, hey, I can't participate in those activities of going out to eat every night at such and such places because I know three out of the four uncles that I have had this, that, or the other. And I will be setting myself up for a life like they had if I just want to enjoy this one thing. So you're really talking about making better choices instead of restrictions. You just start looking and you're able to make better informed decisions. Exactly. Because you need to know. I mean, yes. if you know now what you know later on, then you could say, hey, I could have went a different way. I could have gone a different course or given it the best chance that I had so my disease expression doesn't come on until later. Diabetes runs high in my family. Hmm. I know I can't be just <laughs> all willy-nilly eating starches and sugars just as if, hey, I feel good. I can do this at the same time of... um knowing that this stuff is just waiting for me to come out. Does it make a difference if the event or or the disease process or the genetics was on the mother versus the father's side? Um, not entirely. Okay. Not for us. Okay. Um, we, we look at ages of when the things happen on either side. Mo- mm-hmm. Women are, are later than males. Mm-hmm. If you have a male that has disease in his early 50s is equivalent to a woman having disease in their early 60s. Mm-hmm. So that's when we start talking about what is the risk or who is at risk when you say, well, they developed heart disease at 70. All right, that might not be a genetic thing. That may be more environmental factors. Okay. Oh, I had disease. My mom had a bypass at 52. That's a problem. Yeah. That's a yeah. problem. her metabolism of certain things is off and I may have that same metabolism so now you're at risk from a genetic standpoint I need to control your risk factors much more stringently than the next person are there certain risk factors that have more weight than others like say diabetes versus um, obesity or and I know they all interplay they do all interplay but is there is there a difference? Is there a weight to some? We want to say that. <laughs> I, I don't think we can adequately say that mm. a, col- a bad cholesterol level is worse off than even a controlled diabetic. Mm. 
I don't know if we could say that yet. I don't know if there's enough studies okay. to sort of weight weight out that appropriately to say one is higher than the other. Mm -hmm. um, we know some are more involved than others. Diabetes is more involved than just okay. run-of-the-mill cholesterol. Once you have that, there's so many other things that go with it. Um, again, hypertension, are you talking about strokes? Or are you just talking about heart disease? Mm -hmm. You know, are you talking about aneurysms? You know, so the risk factors themselves interplay with other disease processes. So when you start talking about the end result of death, you can't necessarily say, I need to treat this one and I'll just save that other one for another visit. You yeah. know, when you were talking about the, the event of death, I came across <coughs> a statistic that was really interesting. They said that almost two-thirds of um, females who die suddenly of coronary um, heart disease have no previous symptoms, is, is what I came across. And I was like, two-thirds, that's a big number. And they had no prior symptoms in terms of maybe an event. Right. But... And it's hard to know what that means. Yeah. No symptoms. Yeah. Because it's sort of subjective. Okay. Um, what I say, I've been feeling fine. That's when I what report that, I hear. That's that's a little bit different than, okay, I'm going to take the time to hash out every little step you took. Uh. And to know if you really had symptoms that you don't recognize that you have, or if you truly were asymptomatic, which can happen. You know, I say that's more on the side of um, a rarity than others. But I also to make sure and tell people just because we control your risk factor doesn't mean you're free from having an event. If I cath you and I see that your arteries are normal, does not necessarily mean you're not going to have a heart attack. Mm. Okay. Okay. Explain that. Heart, or or, or heart, attacks, heart attacks come in various forms. Mm. Okay. Blood vessels rupture and are repaired all the time. Mm -hmm. That's the nature mm -hmm. of platelets mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all of that stuff. So when you have, well, let me give you the statistic for it. Most heart attacks, the majority of heart attacks come with non-occlusive disease. Okay, I can take that. Okay. So let's break that down. Okay. What we call occlusive disease is when you have encroachment on the blood vessel greater than 50%. All right. So I'm looking at uh, um, I'm looking at a artery. An artery here. Yeah. And a, mo a model of a model artery. of an artery. So it's almost like taking a a hose. Mhm. Mm and when you start filling up that hose to On prevent the, the water from coming through Correct. with unobstructed flow, right. that's what we're we're starting to talk about right. now. And as you can see on here, it starts talking about the progression of disease. Normal, fatty streaks, plaque, and then severe disease. Mm -hmm. And as you can see, it, looking on the inside of those vessels, how what the changes are. This is the one that I'm talking about when we're talking about the young adults, the fatty streaks. Yes. I explain it to my patients um, when I'm talking to them about cholesterol that it's like you have a bunch of eggs that you're rolling down the sidewalk. Okay. I start talking about blood pressure and the force that the blood has to go through the blood vessel. Each time it pushes, you get that whoosh, mm -hmm. that whoosh, mm -hmm. that whoosh. <clears throat> it's equivalent to whether or not you're going to be rolling those eggs down the sidewalk 
or throwing them down the sidewalk. Now the eggs are there regardless because they just have their part of our circulation that has the cholesterol. Little little globules of cholesterol which need to be taken for nerves, muscles, you know, all the regeneration of processes that get sent from the liver. So they're supposed to be there. It's not a matter they're out of place. These are normal inhabitants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When they go down because of hypertension, which you don't pay attention to, you know, because you feel cause, fine, because you feel fine, and you don't want to get checked out, you're throwing it down. So what happens when you throw an egg on the sidewalk? It breaks, and the yolk that gets spilled out is this fatty streak. Wow. What does the body do? Because it's encapsulated, it's protected, so the body won't attack it. Once it's opened up, the body senses it as a foreign substance. Inflammation. Inflammation. I got to get this stuff out of here. Starts grabbing it, pulling it on the inside of the blood vessel. Tearing up the blood vessel. Tearing it down and repackaging it to send back to the liver. Okay? Mm-hmm. I only got three men working that, that side. If I have work for 50 men, what's going to happen? You get it back up. It's just going to get backed up, backed up, backed up then you end up with one of these. So it's working, but it can't work fast enough. You can't summon more men to do it. It's just a process that has to happen. Uh, one way you get rid of it, you know, you exercise and you utilize them faster or you change your diets. And, a lot, and most of the stuff that we eat maybe contributes to a lower percentage to the amount of cholesterol in our body. Okay. Um, and then some of it's just genetic as far as the enzymes just don't break it down as okay. well. So, I mean, I say all that to say that that process that happens, we don't pay attention to. Add on some diabetes where you have endothelial dysfunction where the little cells, because they're laden with sugar, can't close down enough. So the spaces start being stretched. So now you have more opportunity for stuff to get into the blood vessels. Push on a little bit of smoking with that. A little bit of the nicotine and the inflammation that comes with your body trying to deal with that stuff. Okay? So all of these risk factors that we're talking about are the ones that we look for to say, hey, let's try to control these as much as possible. Right. Let's take all of these out of the mix and let your body sort of operate on its own and then sort of see where we are to know whether or not you're still as much at risk. But what I was originally talking about, when you get this little plaque Sorry. here, <laughs> as it quotes, as it comes into the to the to the vessel, you get a little bump. Okay. On the inside of the vessel, doesn't occlude flow. Flow is still good. Mm -hmm. Blood's still going where it needs mm -hmm. to go. But those edges sometimes can get sort of raised up, like a hangnail. Oh. Okay. It'll just. Okay. Peel up, and your body says, "Hey, I'm seeing stuff I'm not supposed to see." Let's attack it. it. Goes or tries to cover it up, cover it up, cover it up. Now, within the covering up process, your body is exuding more hormones to say, hey, call all your friends. We got work over here to do. At the same time, on the edges, it's saying, hey, call your other friends. We don't want to go out too far. So break it down on the edges, but heap it up on the middle. I mean, it's a remarkable process. It's a remarkable process that happens because it's trying to, it's trying to uh, treat or resolve the issue while it's fixing it. 
which is the way this it should do. Amazing. Which is the way it should do it. But if it happens too quickly, too many men come, you end up with one of these, but not because of cholesterol, but because of platelets. Because of the process of because trying of the process to of trying it. to fix it. And so when we start talking about how people don't have this, but have this and have a heart attack, it can happen. So what you want to do is have this. <laughs> I'm seeing a very clear vessel. <laughs> right. So you don't have to have that process happening. And that, again, starts by diet, exercise, and the fundamental things that we always talk about. And I'm not saying that you can't treat yourself every once in a while to some of these other products that we eat and right, drink and right. stuff like that. But it shouldn't be your mainstay of, of diet and lifestyle. This is amazing. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we're, we're going to wrap this up really quick, Doc. Let me see here. Okay, you, you talked earlier about <coughs> some of the naturopathic options that are mm -hmm. out there. And I was looking at treatment options in terms of using either, I think they're thrombolytics or you're using... Um, beta blockers or percutaneous mm -hmm. types of apparatus to help revascularize yes, the tissues. And they were saying that now we're starting to look at multivitamins, vitamin D, those type of things. And like you said, the studies out there, there's one side that says yes, one side that says no. I think what I want us to talk about is really what they're looking at is one camp is saying, does it prevent an initial, is there a role in it, or does it come on the backside, like you say, and help to correct and be another option in term instead of the the traditional? Well, what what are your okay. thoughts on that's, that? That's, that's, that's a little complex. I uh, know. <laughs> I could say one. I could say it could be used on both ends. Okay. Prevention and sort of helping at the end. Mm -hmm. Not solely, though. Not solely. Again. Again. Um, because I just... W one thing that we do fail to realize when we start talking about that is, let's just say... <laughs> let's just say... Um, let's break it down like this. You got an infection, sinus infection. You need some antibiotics. You're scheduled to take them twice a day for 10 days. Mm -hmm. How many do you get through? Honestly? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe seven. See? <laughs> and that's just a 10-day course. <laughs> so for, for those people who have disease processes that are going on, to tell them that, hey, you can reverse this treatment, mm. which can be done. There are very strict diets, vegetarian diets, um, and you're really giving the body the best chance to heal itself. Mm -hmm. We've seen it happen. Now, large studies, probably not, but we know it can happen. Okay. The issue is the lifestyle that you've developed up to that point is very hard to reverse to say, I can only do this. Very few people could sort of stay on that particular diet, vitamins, medications, exercise, water, rest, for a long period of time to affect that change. So what we see is time being wasted and time is muscle. Yes. So as you go on, go off, go on, go off with your diet, 
or medication or homeopathic treatment, the risk is still accumulating. Mm -hmm. And it's accumulating without any attenuation from the other medications we know that can sort of prevent some of these things. And all we're doing with medications really is attenuating the things so your body can sort of heal itself. We don't have medications that heal. We attenuate risk. Whether it be beta blockers, whether it be aspirin, whether it be all of that stuff, it's all attenuating risk rather than reversing what's going on. So you sort of have to figure out what do you want to do as a patient? Do I want to attenuate risk? Do I want to reverse things? Do I want both? And then who am I and what can I do? Know yourself. Do I fit into the person that can do such and such? You have to make that decision before you say, I don't want to see a doctor because I don't want to take no pills. Well, what do you want to do? I mean, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. When do you want to die? And who do you want to take care of you? That's the straight That's talk it. conversations that you have to have. You don't want to do this, that, or the other, which have been shown to work as much as we can show. Like I said, studies. Exactly. Uh, disparities from skin colors and ethnic backgrounds and having as much information as possible. We don't have everything. But what we have as best we can offer, we try to offer. Um, But you sort of have to figure out what do you want to do. I have people who have atrial fibrillation, hearts beating irregular, and as you know what happens to blood when it sits, turns into little clots. Mm -hmm. So they have a higher risk of developing these clots and say they don't want to take any medication. I said, okay. Call your family. We're going to talk to them today. But we're going to figure out which one of them is going to take care of you. You need to have that person on your Rolodex. I need to have that person. So I know who to call. When you have your stroke. And I want them to know that you've made the decision that they're going to take care of you. So everybody's on the same page. You can't make this decision by yourself when somebody else has to take care of you. That's... Mm. Even though it's your body, somebody's going to take care of you. You're going to just say, I want to die? Well, that's, that's, that's okay, too. But at least everybody else knows that. So it's a different conversation that we're having on the back end as compared to the one of, well, I tried to tell him, and he didn't tell you about, and he's had this for those type of conversations. So, you know, it's usually the older individuals, 60s, 70s, where they just don't really talk to their kids about certain things, don't really talk to their spouses about certain things, so they're going to, quote, unquote, nag me, but the risk is still there. And life goes on, <laughs> as we see on the wards. So. Oh my goodness. This this has been very, very enlightening. Very enlightening. And I, I want to ask you if we can continue these conversations yes. Yes. because I know we're going to get uh, we're going to get some questions and inundated with a lot of, of, of um, information. We can break down each particular aspect of cardiovascular care so you can get a little bit more information. I tell people, when people ask me what I do, I said, I'm an educator. Because if I don't educate you, I've done nothing for you. Hmm. I have to help you know what's going on and understand. This stuff isn't hard. It's not rocket science. The volume, yes, is a lot. But it's logical stuff. It's this plus this equals this. And if you can understand those components, then you can go home and say, hey, I'm going to that barbecue today, but I'm going to eat before I go. 
So I won't be that hungry. So even if I do have something, it's not going to be a plate of that's going to put me in the hospital next week because I had too much salt. Eats first. Simple things. Now, I'm not saying don't have anything at all. I'm not trying to dash your life away. But at the same time, you got to be smart about what you need to do. Oh, my goodness. I, I the, Again, good stuff. I'm going to um, wrap it up, but before I wrap it up, I'm going to take probably some poetic <coughs> license here and borrow, you know, um, one of Barbara Walters' closing questions that she would um, actually pose when she did an interview. You know, do you have a personal philosophy that or a belief system that you live by and you tend to incorporate into the treatment of your patients? Yes. Yes. I, my my. From my background, from my religious background, from my family background, I, I try to treat everybody like my brother. You know, if I could make you personal to me, and I could, then I could help you. Now, there are barriers that I have to break down for you to be feel the same way about me, okay. uh, but that doesn't necessarily inhibit my thinking of you of who you are, that you are a brother or sister of mine because at the end of the day I may not want to deal with my brothers and sisters all the time but they still are family and I have uh, uh, an inkling a need to make sure that they're okay and so it helps me get past some of the things that are thrown at me Mm -hmm. rather than just say alright Go ahead. Deal with your own stuff on your own. It helps me get past that. Because there are times that you just want to, you're, you're being fought by patients, whether it be from poor education. I should say poor education. Miseducation is a better mm. word. Um, just fear. Yeah. Um, addictions. Mm. You know, just dealing with all of those things and trying to understand them and give them an alternate way which they may not see that may be helpful to get us to the same goal that we want or else they wouldn't be here to see me. If they didn't want anything at all, they wouldn't be here. So trying to help them get over those things is, is, is germane to me and my incorporation of them as a family member sort of helps me do that. That's, that's nice. That's really nice. Well, guys, we have had a wonderful conversation with Dr. Andrews here at um, Providence Hospital. And we're going to continue these conversations. I want you to continue these conversations around your dinner table, around your, um, in your salons, in your hair salons, in your barber shops, in your church groups, um, when you're walking with your sister friends or when you're working out with, with your guys, you know, start having these conversations. Start really paying attention to your own body and start you know, jotting some things down. Everybody's got a smartphone, you yes. know. Push the voice recorder and say, today, you know, I couldn't finish the game with the guys or today I couldn't walk the full mile with the girls or those type of things so that when you go to sit down with your health care provider, you can then be a partner and give them more information that they can start helping you connect the dots and have whole person care. So until next time, we'll see you later.